This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the Real Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets. In today's installment, we delve into the remarkable journey and insights of Mike Forsum, the accomplished president and chief operating officer of Land Sea Homes. With over three decades of experience in the dynamic world of home building, Forsum's expertise shines through his diverse roles. From his tenure at KB Homes to his division president role at Ryland Homes and his contributions as the West Region President at Taylor Woodrow Morrison. Notably, Forsum's pivotal role as a private equity partner and co founder of Starwood Land Ventures in 2008 marks one of several standout highlights in his distinguished career. Join us as we uncover his unique perspectives on the industry tapping into Forsum's invaluable experience to make sense of the residential real estate landscape and explore the future of Lancy Homes. Mike, good morning. How are you? Morning, Vlad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Uh, I'm kind of uh, stepping across the country, so I'm actually fortunate to be at our home in Utah outside of Park City, Deer Valley. So I'm in my home office today. Okay, excellent, excellent. Got to sleep in my own bed last night, which is always a treat. (laughs) Yes, that's that's always a good thing. Um, Mike, (laughs) by way of introduction, um, tell us a little bit about you, you know, your role at Lancy uh, and sort of how the, you know, winding road of your career got you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, well, I I often wonder that myself. I, I, I... Started, uh, well, let me just start off by saying, you know, my name is Mike Forsom. I'm the President and Chief Operating Officer of Lancy Homes. We are a publicly traded home builder that operates uh, in a bi-coastal way. We're from Florida all the way through and up into California uh, with primary businesses in Central Florida, Texas, Arizona, uh, and California, uh, and then, you know, beginning to dabble in some of the other states. So, uh, although we're uh, small in stature, uh, currently, we do have a pretty big range in terms of scope of operations, which gives us a pretty interesting perspective in terms of the new home residential home building business uh, today. But I got my start uh, really way back when. Uh, I tell people that I am a, a third generation Swedish carpenter, and it really bugs people that work with me because they've heard it so many times. They're just like, Ugh, you know, but. Um, <laughs> My grandfather uh, was in the residential home builders business in the 40s and 50s in Los Angeles. And uh, my father uh, was uh, as well and then tangentially by becoming an architect uh, and then also had a construction company. So uh, I have been around this business my entire life. I guess technically you could call me a Nepo baby. Is that the new phrase now? If you're, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I would like to right. say... I got no advantages from it other than a strong work ethic and a deep appreciation for labor uh, because that was uh, uh, what we were considered coming from an immigrant family. So uh, there was no uh, preferences or easy treatment for me, uh, you know, kind of growing up. In fact, uh, I actually did not really think that this was a business I was going to go into uh, just for the sake of the fact that I, you know, at least from the end of that, I experienced, it seemed very hard. Uh, so, uh, in physical. And, um, so 
I actually, when I graduated, uh, was recruited out of school to become a commodity trader. So I started off with Cargill and I uh, ended up with an assignment in Chicago and I was trading grain on the Chicago Board of Trade for a period of time. But um, uh, the, siren song, the siren call of home building brought me back. Uh, and so uh, I ended up coming back to the West Coast to help my dad out a little bit, uh, but I wanted to do something bigger and I was more interested in sort of large scale home building operations. And I was very fortunate to, at the time, uh, get an opportunity at what was called then Kaufman and Broad. Uh, uh, I think it's now referred to primarily as KB Home. And yeah. uh, just very, very lucky to get uh, on board at a time that the company was uh, uh, really aggressive and expanding and uh, really gave a young person like myself a lot of rope uh, because they, they needed people to jump in and uh, uh, do a lot of different things. And, and they were opening up uh, operations and expanding then outside of California. And I was a part of that ride. And, and then luckily to meet uh, Chad Dreyer, who was a CFO of KB at the time, who uh, got the head job at Ryland, which was a large very large publicly traded national home builder that was kind of listing um, and struggling. And so he brought in a team to help him kind of straighten it out and uh, get us going in the right direction. Uh, and so I was very lucky there as well, uh, you know, to be a part of that. And then uh, <clears throat> through some uh, other twists and turns, uh, I got a chance to join John Peshkin, who's now currently on the board of Pulte Homes. Uh, at that time, he was running Taylor Woodrow, uh, U.S. and Canadian operations. And so he asked me to join him. And uh, I got to run the West Coast uh, for him. He had the East Coast and we had a, a guy in Canada. And, you know, the three of us were running the company. And uh, it was really, really awesome because it was just, a, you know, a, a wonderful brand to get my hands on. And they were doing some really interesting things. And to turn that into a real viable uh uh, economic business was uh, a real challenge and a real thrill, and we were able to do that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, though, our parent company, uh, the UK, uh, was struggling as well as another large UK builder called George Wimpy Homes. And uh, so they combined operations, and that's why we see today Taylor Morrison, because their brand name, uh, George Wimpy's uh, brand name in the US at the time was Morrison. I think mostly because Wimpy Homes didn't really play well in the U.S., so they had to catch <laughs> right. that. <laughs> right. So, uh, anyhow, so that that's right. So, uh, the GFC came about, and um, uh, I was with the merged operation of Taylor Woodrow and Morrison Homes for roughly a year. But I wanted to try to do something uh, a little bit different. I had missed the RTC run, and and I thought that was probably kind of an exciting time, and. So I was lucky, uh, very fortunate again, to align myself with John Peshkin, who had uh, left uh, Taylor Moore, Taylor Woodrow, and uh, got together with Starwood Capital with Barry Sternlich, which is a you know a monstrous blue chip private equity firm that yes. uh, traveled yep. real estate. And so Barry, uh, John, and myself, and then a couple others started what we call Land C, um, or excuse me, uh, Starwood Land Ventures. And uh, really went across the country buying distressed, broken master plan communities. And uh, we worked on uh, repositioning them and and then uh, sort of taking them uh, back out to market. And I think the euphemism in PE is we started to uh, uh, harvest, you know, those investments. And so uh, did that. We bought about, uh, I think, 25,000 lots. 
And uh, that was a very interesting uh, uh, time and learned a lot through that process, learned a lot about um, how capital really thinks, because up until that point, you know, we were um, publicly financed and, you know, the companies I'd come from and, you know, I didn't really have an appreciation like I have today in terms of what really makes capital work and what what really sure. tracks capital, keeps capital. So. To have that opportunity that late in my career was awesome, and uh, and I was really grateful for Barry and John and you know the others that we had that opportunity to do what we did. But um, ultimately, though, that that sort of turns into an exit business because that's how those investments are realized. And so, uh, I was not you know particularly geared towards doing asset management and kind of liquidations, and um, so. Uh, kind of get to the long story. I was very fortunate to run into an old friend on a flight uh, back from Phoenix, and he happened to uh, be on a board, an advisory board of a Chinese home builder that was coming into the U.S. and uh, wanted to uh, create a, a home builder. And so, over the course of a roughly about six months uh, of conversations and getting to know that company and, and the management, and then the uh, the local guy John Ho, is, who was our CEO, um, I came on board, and uh, you know I, I I have pinched myself ever since. Uh, this has been an, an amazing opportunity for me to uh, at this point in my career be able to you know harness all of those experiences and and you know, networks and, and things that I've done and then sort sure. of to bring it to bear and creating a company from scratch for, uh, with a, uh, a supporting uh, owner. Um, his name's Martin Tian. He's out of Shanghai, uh, who really, really wanted to create uh, uh, a long-lasting uh, home-building company uh, that would play at the top tier uh, of our industry here in the U.S. and you know to do it in a way that it wasn't a build to sell but a build to own a legacy company. And when you've got that you know kind of vision with the financial resources behind you, you know they don't come around very often. And so uh, right. you know that's how right. we're and I'm incredibly grateful and and working with John Ho, uh, who's a, a a young young younger person, younger than me, but who's so wise and so steady. Uh, this partnership between him and I have just, it's a, an incredible blessing and I'm really grateful for it. So that that's kind of my wind around story to where I am today. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> right. anything more you want to add, but uh, that's where I am. That's no, this is this is very interesting. What's what's really curious about this is that um, one, it's a sort of a you know Chinese owned builder. You don't necessarily see a lot of home builders kind of um, going into sort of, you know, different markets. And I'm curious now, with the exception of the two British companies you you worked with, you know, in your in your past, you know, is this common in the U.S.? Because it does seem like it's mainly kind of a homegrown industry. Is that correct? It is, and and you touched on the most important part is that uh, Martin uh, understood that from the get go, and that's where foreign companies uh, often uh, flounder when they try to come into a, a new country and, and then try to make their way carrying all of their sort of legacy baggage along with them and the culture and the way that they look at the world. You know, what makes it even harder and makes it particularly hard in residential is it is a local business. I mean, it literally is a local business. And when you're, you know, if you can even be from another state trying to start a home building operation in another state, the learning curve is so steep. So, 
one of the, again the the great attributes about Martin was that Martin understood from the from the very beginning that this was a business that um, he had to get local uh, management, local knowledge, and uh, never once did we ever have one person uh, in you know in, up to the point we went public and beyond that was actually from uh, the Chinese uh, headquarters sitting in there with us. He he essentially created an advisory board. Uh, and, you know, got the right uh, advice through that advisory board and then sort of helped, you know, put together the few pieces at the beginning, but then allowed John to assemble a U.S. management team of experienced local home builders uh, to help him build the business, of which I am, I am one. Yeah, makes sense. So where does Lancy play today? Uh, you mentioned from, you know, California to, you know, Florida. Uh, where have you guys built homes? Yeah, so we're uh, we're now located in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so that's uh, that's a recent thing that just happened. We announced it a few months ago. We started off in Newport Beach, uh, California, uh, but because of the fact of our growth and what we're trying to do, and we'll probably get in this conversation a little bit, you know, down the road of this conversation. But um, in terms of our uh, aspirations to be uh, national in scope and scale. Uh, it's very difficult to manage the business from one coast or the other. Uh, so uh, the idea of going to Texas was mostly about our ability of uh, span of control and, and to be able to get to our different markets uh, you know, as quickly as possible and for our teams to come visit us. So currently we have operations in, in Florida. We are the largest, well, excuse me, we're probably the fourth largest home builder in central Florida, which is really that Orlando, Tampa area. We do over a thousand homes there. We have uh, 6,000 lots, you know, in that general location. And we're looking to kind of grow from that standpoint. We also have operations in Texas and San Antonio and Austin, uh, they're growing, getting bigger, and we really want that business to um, flourish. So we're very excited about our, our first foray into the Texas markets, and we think we can get to be a formidable player there. Uh, we're in Phoenix as well, one of the top home builders in that market. Um, and uh, we've been there now for about four years or so. And, and then in California, in the Bay Area, Bay Area core, uh, and then down in Southern California, primarily in the Inland Empire. So uh, there's lots of spots in between that description of where we're operating and we're looking to fill them in within our existing, what I call franchises of which we've established ourselves. And I don't know if, you know, we were named last year by Builder Magazine, the 2022 Home Builder of the Year. Um, You know, that's a great start. It's a great, uh, you know, stamp. but you know we want to we want to take this and as I said uh, you know we're aspirational in terms of our uh, ideas around scope and scale for what we think this company can be and and so we're going to fill in those pieces uh, systematically and thoughtfully and prudently but you know we want to do it faster rather than slower so that's kind of yeah. the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mike, you talked about some of these markets where you guys are are, are active. Um, you know, curious to see kind of how you guys are approaching that from, you know, a growth perspective, you know, is it, I'm sure it's based on, you know, job growth or where you guys see the opportunities, but, but I'm curious if you can share anything with us about sort of how you see those opportunities evolving for you guys too. Yeah. I, you know, we are a uh, first time, first time move up home builder. Uh, we believe that that's where the largest critical mass of our audience is and always has been. Um, you know, we believe that, you know, 
from the standpoint of being able to provide housing, you know, for those that are aspiring to get into home ownership is a pretty noble calling. And, you know, it really drives us in, in terms of what our value proposition needs to be and where we want to go do it. But that also sort of tells you kind of where people are going to, because many of the markets today are, are really unaffordable. And I think, Vlad, you said you're from the Bay Area. Maybe I'm not sure if you're from San Francisco or not, but, you know, a, a first-time uh, home buyer price point in the Bay Area is million dollars plus, right? So it's, yeah. it's like, um, but you can go into uh, parts of Dallas, you can go into parts of Austin, you know, certainly in Florida where we're delivering in an average, what we call average sales price, sales price, the, the acronym is ASPs, you know, in the three to $400,000 range, which is a, you know, a much more approachable uh, price point for someone who is trying to get into home ownership and, you know, start a family and, you know, kind of grow from there. So that's why you're seeing a lot of sort of uh, on the edges on the coast, sort of the the sort of overflow and filling in into sort of the middle part of our country today. And that's really, you know, where where the business is, if you will, uh, in terms of sort of the demographic push and, you know, where we believe that we can provide the most uh, impact, you know, in terms of what we want to do. Yeah, no, and that's that's totally understandable. Um, I mean, the West Coast for all its, uh, you know, physical and natural beauty. Yeah. <clears throat> is a very difficult place to <laughs> start a family and yeah. um yeah. you know certainly that's not changing i don't think even with uh with the you know current um um mortgage rate environment um having said that i am curious sort of uh, you know how the industry has been affected um you know maybe we can take a step back and talk a little bit about sort of where the industry is in terms of the the overall kind of um um, you know, lo logistical nightmare that we've had with 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 you know supplies and uh, all the supply chain sort of issues, right? Kind of where we are with with that, but then also what's how is, has it been impacted? You know, with the with the whole interest rate, um, you know, changes over the last you know six seven months. Yeah, well, it's a big question, and I'll, I'll sort of state it by if it's not one thing, it's another, right? So before. Uh, I was telling one of our directors uh, at one of our board meetings, you know, a few years back, I go, I, you know, I can, I can sell every, every home uh, I, I have available. The problem is I can't build any of them uh, because of those conditions that you described in terms <laughs> right. of condition. Uh, going into last summer uh, and certainly coming into the end of the year, I told the same director, um, I, I can build any home I want. I just can't sell anything. So uh, because of the rising interest rates and what had happened, you know, during that period. So, you know, it's, it, you know, I always say, it's, you know, if you have great sales, you've got a, you've got a building problem. If you have your building under control in terms of your supply chain and your cycle times, you probably have a sales problem. So there's these little moments in time where everything sort of fits perfectly it's probably for about three hours on a, on a Wednesday afternoon where you kind of say everything's in balance between sales and construction. And it's a blissful moment, but uh, it, it's short lived and you have to kind of, you know, as good operators sort of move from one side of the polarity to the other to address it. But I would say today uh, we have weaned ourselves out of most of the difficult supply chain issues. And I'm talking about the home building industry, the new home building industry specifically. Um, you know, we, we've seen that a lot of the products that were back ordered that uh, we struggled to get in a timely fashion uh, seem to now be available. 
There are little uh, pockets here or there of some challenges. Uh, oddly, right now, uh, you know, around electrical, electrical boxes, uh, what we call splice gear that goes on the ends of, uh, of attached buildings, uh, and then also transformers in our development business. And, you know, it's it's kind of around the ability of capacity and what you do through all this process is you find out there's few players in those markets because they're kind of yeah. dull, boring industries and there's not a lot of people that are around them. And then all of a sudden, they used to realize how critical they are to the execution of your business. And so, uh, but we seem to be getting through that. Uh, labor is still very sticky. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a challenge. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge in general. I think just to find labor that's attracted to our business and to be able to have it uh, in a way that we can produce housing uh, such that, you know, frankly, it's there and available and affordable. Um, It's very hard. And so that's really caught into the inflationary cycle of where we are today. Um, And it's a business where it's also been, and I don't want to be political on your podcast, which seems very neutral, but it's, you know, it's, it's about immigration and our, um, some of the challenges sure. about, you know, being able to get uh, the right type of labor over here that's interested in wanting to work in our industry and to, um, you know, add value to what we're doing, because, you know, we are pretty reliant on immigration labor uh, in general. And, uh, and so, you know, that's becoming more and more difficult uh, as it's, you know, harder to find to find the labor that we need to get houses built. So, um, you know, and, you know, and they're catching up on, on, on their own um, wages. So, you know, that, that has to be kind of, you know, worked through cycle times are getting better though, uh, generally because the market's down, the market's been down because the interest rates have gone up and it's really slowed uh, the market. Not, not necessarily because of there's lack of will or desire, but just, you know, challenges around the idea of affordability now, you know, really come into play. And then also with the prices going up the way that they had, that a lot of uh, of the demand went onto the sidelines because they didn't want to be chasing bids and, you know, and all that was going on at the time and rates were going up and it was just like, you know what, um, you know, we're just going to kind of, you know, back off and hang out and kind of see, uh, you know, what's going to go on. And I think that there was a sort of a sense and a feeling that, you know, rates were going to come back down and then, you know, pricing is going to capitulate on, on home sales. And, uh, but what people sort of forgot was that, um, you know, as the market kind of came around was that not forgot, but I don't think that was appreciated. It was that roughly right now between 75 to 80% of all outstanding mortgages in the residential space are at three and a half percent interest rates. And those people are never going to move. Not in a generation. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what's gone on and what you're seeing now is uh, that there's no resale inventory being put to the market. And what is, is you know, kind of crummy. And right. if you want to go after it, you're going to be uh, looking at interest rates at six and a half, I think it's over in the 30 years now over 7%. So it's really dried up that side of the business in terms of resale. It's at historically, historically low inventory. Many people think, oh, the market's really off. But the truth of it is it's just, no, there's just no market on that side. And there's no ability to uh, spur demand because, you know, the mom and pops of people out there trying to sell houses can't do the certain things that, home builders, new home builders can do. And that'll take me to the other side of this uh, polarity that we're dealing with is that on the new home uh, 
industry, the new home market, it's robust. Uh, we have experienced some of the highest sales rates we've had as a company over the last three and a half months, four months, uh, primarily because we have something to offer. Um, and we can do it uh, in a timely way because when uh, our industry was suffering a little bit in the fall, we, we got a lot of inventory back through cancellations. And now we have just-in-time inventory. And then we also have the wherewithal and the mechanics to buy down rates, which is super important because it makes our houses affordable. Um, and so, yeah, let me let know, me follow up on that. Is this something that you guys are able to do with your sort of you know balance sheet kind of deal, or are there certain partners that you're able to bring into the equation where you're able to, you know, conduct this in a way that you know maybe other builders don't have that kind of financial backing? Yeah. So yeah, we, we have a. Own what we call capture mortgage companies through a joint venture with a, a mortgage company originator, and it is a an incredible tool to have, uh, and it is off of our balance sheet and you know through our lines of credit and cash flow and those things which allow us to uh, extend out mortgages and then go and resell them you know back in the mortgage market. Uh, most yeah. big public builders have this facility or you know this tool available to them. Um, so, uh, you know, we can buy block uh, block programming of rates and buying down. So if the market is sitting out there and, you know, looking at it six, six and a half, seven percent, we can buy it down to four and a half, five and a half, you know, somewhere in there. It's very expensive, but we can provide that, you know, and that's providing liquidity into the business. So we have that tool available to us by virtue of having that business that's bolted onto our business that acts as a facilitator, which is helpful being a big uh, private company or public company. Um, and then just having inventory that's getting built because the smaller privates today have pretty much been shut down. And particularly this last uh, wave we had with these, uh, with Silicon Valley Bank and everything's First Republic, a lot of the local, uh, local regional banks have really pulled back on extending financing to the local uh, private, small private builders. Right. So they're, they're not able to go out any longer and start spec inventory or get houses in front of a demand because the banks won't allow them to extend it or the banks flat out just not giving them any more money to run their business, which... Uh, takes me to sort of the final point is, and then I'll go back to your earlier question, getting into the business. When I started at KB, um, way back when, with late 80s, the new home, new, new home building industry accounted for roughly 8% of all homes uh, closed for the year, roughly. Uh, we are now coming up as an industry. New home builders are now accounting for 40% of all wow. new homes that are being up there. And it just kind of shows you the shift that's taking place and what, you know, is happening out there. And in that this is a business that now uh, is being transformed uh, differently. And, uh, and what we are doing now to provide solutions as an industry out there that's kind of taking over for the resale market that once was, uh, you know, kind of the bigger, the bigger beast in the room. Yeah. And uh, just as a point of reference in the before times, meaning, you know, by late 2019, where where was that ratio kind of before the pandemic hit? 
Oh, I think it was, you know, somewhere in that, uh, it's a good question, but I think it's like, you know, in the, the twenties, the thirties roughly, but it's definitely jumped up here in the last so uh, it's, year. So it's doubled essentially. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. You mentioned, um, a number of different trends as we were sort of talking over the last few minutes here that, that are impacting the, um, industry. I'm, I'm curious, you know, as kind of a, you know, news media person, are there certain things that, you know, are not being picked up that you think are very interesting, very kind of, um, you know, curious about what is happening that maybe uh, folks like like me should cover more? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I always feel like our industry is undercover <laughs> for, what, for, what it, <laughs> for what it means to society at large. You know, I've always like... You know, if you think about, we get to build a, a product, if you will, and I, I'm not really sure I like that definition, but you know, we build homes, um, and by and large, most everybody has lived in a home. You know, they've come from a home, they have a home, they they understand kind of what it is, and and it's so relatable. Uh, but sometimes it just feels like it's such a, a distant, abstract kind of thing to everything else that's out there. So, from that standpoint. Um, I, you know, I, I think what I sort of uh, am interested in in is really about the fact of where we see the demand coming from today of a younger generation, uh, Gen X, Gen Z. You and I were talking about it earlier a little bit, you know, where uh, I think that uh, a few years back, not that far back, we were thinking of them as being really totally different, um, that they were going to be more urban oriented, urban centric you know, the things that they grew up with that, that where they lived in suburbia, and, you know, that kind of sort of classic delivery of, of housing and housing stock and all that was going to, you know, go away. Right. You know, everybody wanted to sort of be in where it was cool and there was restaurants and there's vitality and vibrance. And, you know, and we were kind of doing vertical builds instead of horizontal builds. And there was a little bit of a chase to that. Well, you know, the reality is, is that this this new generation is coming through. They're they're not a whole lot different. They they as they are forming their households and in creating families, kind of want the same things. You know, they want yeah. space. They yeah. want safety. They want uh, great neighborhoods. They want to be able to go out and walk and 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 connect. Uh, they, you know, that it, it's uh, you know, it's a lot of you know what's 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 old is new again, you know, kind of thing. And so there's, there's different parts of it for sure that uh, we need to address and provide solutions to in terms of the houses we're building today. But uh, the overall need and desire uh, and why they're out there, you know, looking to buy homes from us, a lot of the basics are just still the same. It hasn't changed. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. In terms of um, uh, you know, in terms of just the overall, um, you know, and I don't want to use the word product, but for, for lack of a better word, um, you you put it in my head now. But 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 the I homes that first. are <laughs> the homes that um, you know you guys are building and the industry is building today. Um, obviously, there's been a shift over the last three years, which I think is you know meaningful in a sense that. Um, you know, the, the, the home is sort of a different place, right? Than maybe it was, you know, before COVID, if you will. And not just about COVID, but, you know, things evolve as it is in general. But I am curious, you know, what, what does 
what will the home of you know three four years from now how different will it be from homes that you guys were building you know five years ago or so yeah well in its essence <clears throat> you can go back 50 years and it's what we're building today in a, terms of its structure and what i mean by its structure it's a garage bedrooms baths kitchens orientations those kinds of things nothing nothing's fully different right it's it's really about product materials uh a little bit about orientation and movement through the house has changed over time and how people live uh you, you think back to the houses that uh but i have no idea how, you know how old you are but you know for me there was a lot of compartmentalization you know there was the dining yeah. room there was the living room there was you know there's certain real specific uh spaces that kind of were desired in the sense of again sort of isolating compartmentalizing you know and today you know even though the you know outside walls roughly are the same you know inside there's a lot more flex space there's a lot more openness there's a lot more continuity from one area to the other so um you know that's definitely changed but i think really where it's going and this is uh, if you don't mind me doing a little plug here for lancy homes and there's no, please here to my heart you know, was uh, around our what we call our high performance home uh, offering, and, and this was something that was very exciting for me personally. And working with John Ho when we were starting the company was to sit back and say, you know, look, um, w- what what do we want to do different? You know, what what is it that we can do to separate ourselves? Because there are some monster uh, home builders out there that have monster balance sheets and are all over. You know, so why? what can we do to be different than them? How can we separate ourselves? You know, what, what do we think our secret sauce is going to be to be, to go out there and compete? And so, you know, we kind of got around this idea of like how, how we think of things today and, and what were our, our uh, guiding principles and ethos and those kinds of sort of word salad words, but you know, are, are out there and it's true and it's real. And, and what do we want to what do we want to do in the communities that we build? And frankly, you know, we're you know the, the mark that we leave on this earth because we do we do have this um, duty, right? We have this duty because we we what we do and what we produce and what we build is something that's going to be here for a hundred years. We leave our mark on this earth in this industry forever, <laughs> generally. So we have a duty to do it right, you know, to be responsible, to be thoughtful, and to be forward thinking in terms of what is this going to look like uh, for years to come. And, you know, it's an awesome responsibility if you if you really kind of want to get there to that. So, you know, we really thought that way at the beginning is to say, look, we're just, we want to, we want to do this right. And we want to do it in a way that um, is different, but also is meaningful and betters the lives of those people that are now living inside those outer walls that we've created. And that's where uh, our our high performance home strategy came in from, because we said, look, it is today about things that people really care about and think about. What is, what is high performance home? You know, what are our pillars? It's around sustainability and people talk about it. um, But how do you deliver it? And we do uh, very thoughtful ideas and thoughts around the building science and our interior blueprint, but really ways of cutting waste, you know, and that was one of the things that's always sort of irritated me is, you know, how much waste comes out of our houses and what we're doing out sure. on the land, those things. And, 
you know, what can we do better to be better stewards of the land in, in the land around us and those things that we're using to put our waste into to be better at that. And so for us, that was very important from the beginning. And we've been very thoughtful and uh, intentional about uh, the way we design our houses and how we go out and build our houses. Uh, I can go on and on, but I can move into our next pillar is really the healthy lifestyle. Uh, and that's really around, you know, air quality and our partnership with Remy Halo and our air purification system. And frankly, uh, we did that before COVID came. And to be able to have that as a standard feature, not an add-on or what we said, look, people living, breathing, feeling healthy in your house is super important. And we want to make sure that people know that and that we're providing that for them. And then we moved into home automation, which is really, I think, you know, the real exciting thing that's going on in the industry is people are trying to, you know, use automation to better their lives. And we uh, thought about that from the very beginning and we wanted to be, you know, thoughtful and innovative. And in fact, we uh, uh, designated a, an individual and a resource, even at a time we were really small and probably could argue that, you know, we were too small to carry this kind of GNA, but well, we had uh, a vice president of innovation and sustainability uh, position created. We put a person in there and we just said, hey, go go around and, and start attending these tech conferences, not home building conferences, but tech conferences and start yeah. thinking about things that are going on out there that we yeah. don't know about but could make sense. And just a random uh, encounter with Apple led to our, our partnership with Apple and through their home kit. And in that home kit through home automation, you know, and through the wireless net networking that we have, you know, we were able to really uh, automate a lot of the functions in the house that, you know, become sort of second nature to you and how you live through your house. And then making sure that uh, all of that is done in such a way that it's consistent, you know, through our geofencing and our wireless network internet and all those kinds of things that said, hey, that's how young people live today, right? They yeah, they're yeah. they're in a couch somewhere in a, some back bedroom, you know, with a laptop, you know, over their crossed legs, and kind of, you know, they're not in an office. They're not sitting in some designated space any longer. They're all over the place. They're in the backyard. <laughs> they're in the garage. Or so it's all of those things that you know we we're saying. Let's make this sort of a house in which people really, you know, how they live, and let's make it easy for them to live there. Let's make it convenient and thoughtful. And then we wrapped it up with our energy savings. Um, and that was a way of, you know, through our tankless water heaters and, you know, other things we were doing through our lighting and insulation, just to be, you know, energy wise and energy, you know, savings, thoughtfulness, you know, coming through. So those are our four pillars, sustainability, healthy lifestyle, home automation and energy savings that we combined and put together and we continue to refine them. But we were really getting great feedback on that because I think up until this point, you know, Vlad, we're... Uh, and you can tell I'm kind of passionate around this is that, you know, I've been in this industry long enough and been at companies where we see these kinds of trends and fads come through and there's these ideas, but the follow through on them, the, the commitment to them, the dedication to saying, this is what we believe in and this is what we're going to go do. And we're going to do it, cycle in and cycle up, you know, market up, market down, price point low, price point high. We're going to be committed to this because this is who we are and this is what we believe in. And yeah. I think every company has to have that North Star. They really do. And and you have to have management leadership that doesn't let that go when rates are going up or when cycle times get longer or when the when the when it just gets harder to do what you're supposed to do. You can't let Agreed. go of those guiding Agreed. principles or values. So I think that comes through 
uh, us. And uh, and I think that's a separator because again, I just want to finish up by saying I, I just I feel like and felt like a lot of companies kind of nibble on the edges of certain ideas for sound bites or th- sort of things, but they don't drive it through their company and then their employees don't believe it and then never gets executed and then it sort of gets discarded, you know, in the next cycle. And yeah, and you are bringing up a very good point, I think, because these these things will be, uh, you know, table stakes essentially in in the future, you know, so what you might be thinking that is, you know, very progressive, um, these four pillars, you know, you know, today, and it might be a, a sort of a, you know, differentiating factor, it'll be something that every builder will have to do in order to to do that one, because there might be some, you know, you know, government mandates, there might be some, you know, code changes, right? right? Um, Including things like power generation, you know, uh, our family about a year and a half ago switched to, you know, both our cars are now, you know, electric, right? And so our needs as as a as a homeowner are are, are now very different, you know, I'm I'm looking at, you know, how do I charge these cars? Do I have enough, you know, 240 volt outlets to charge two cars at the same time so I don't have to wait, <laughs> you know, um, for, for one to be charged while, you know, the other, the other isn't and, and, and things like that. And, and I think that's a, that's a very good point. W- w- one of the things that I'm, that I'm also very, 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 um, you know, curious about is does, does this also then in, in the, in the future mean that the whole construction process changes? I mean, there are some companies out there that are already, you know, building systems, building walls, and they're kind of, you know, assembling things on the on the spot, is is that something that you know your company as an enterprise, both you know in Asia and also in North 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 America, could you know potentially do? Sure, I I, I always think that you're always looking at uh, innovations of uh, construction. It was sort of in, in the assembly of our homes, uh, and there's you know big ideas around. On that and you know there's new things are always emerging i mean there's lots of talk around the 3d you know printed house um, there's you know panelization as you said there's there's different things that are there and i i think that um in kind of an isolated specific case those are uh applicable and it kind of can make some sense but the challenge is i think generally as an industry and, and what makes the united states very unique unlike um the UK, for instance, or even in China, where there's one national standardized uh, um, housing code and the way that they go about doing it. In our business, I mean, every city we go in, uh, every all have their own different ways of doing things. And what right. they allow, what they don't allow, what is the process, it's their own specific codes, the counties have their own. So you're almost really bespoking your housing generally to where you're building. And so to be able to scale up those operations and to make them economic and to kind of do it in such a way that is consistent, it's really, really hard. And I think that's the code that hasn't been cracked is to say, you know, I, I want to take this from, uh, I don't know, I'm going to go from, uh, you know, uh, Dublin to Tracy, you know, in the Bay Area. And it's like, I want to build the yeah. same house. From- it could be a wholly different different house, right? It, and then, by the way, the, the zoning requirements setbacks, the design review, all of those things are individual to that specific municipality and governing agencies who all think they they know the right way. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you're always yeah. in this, this, you know, it, it would be a dream to be able to kind of reproduce what we think that is, you know, a well-received home that is 
uh, meeting the needs of that specific demographic and we're doing all those things, but you know, it's very, very hard to do in our industry. So I think that um, there are certain parts of it that will get more standardized. One of the things we're pretty excited about as it relates back to what you're asking though, is more of an integration with the trades um, and continuity with the trades. And I think that that is uh, something that's been pretty exciting. We're seeing it in Arizona, we're a little bit in Florida some of it in the Bay Area where we're, we're taking one trade and then kind of bolting out under trades underneath them so that they are better coordinated uh, in terms of how they're, how they're producing the unit, the house. Uh, and it, I don't know if what, I'm making what's, sense. What's an example of that, Mike? So like our, like our framer is then now really his trade is the foundation, the electrician and the plumber, not us. Right. So it's it's they're they're basically because what you would do in the Bay Area normally is you're you're sub trading out, you know, individually, the, the foundation, concrete, the framer, the electrician, the plumber, and they're all independent of each other. And they have to right. all be kind of coordinated by us. Right. And so and if they all have their own uh, timelines, they all have their own uh, job schedulings, they all have their own kinds of things that make it very inefficient and and. What we're saying is if there's a way in which we can kind of put that together under one kind of umbrella uh, trade that we can do this in somewhat of a more economic way, and then they can trade and share resources themselves as they're going through it, which we're finding out that they can do, they're better for it as well. So um, I think it's just more vertical integration into, into the operational assemblage of the different trades and finding the way to do that in an economic way and how risk gets kind of shared um, is for us kind of more the wave of the future than some sort of offsite assemblage that we try to get onto a piece of property that's very difficult to do. Yeah, makes sense. Interesting, interesting. Um, Mike, um, as we look into kind of the you know ne next cycle, essentially, I mean, I would argue that you know the you know economic shifts over the last you know seven eight months have you know, thrust us into a kind of a new, a new cycle, right? Yeah. Um, what, what will that look like? Will it, will it, will it be distinguished from, you know, the last cycle? Um, what are some kind of trends that you anticipate will be driving the market over the next, you know, few, few years, um, you know, as much as you're able to see them now? I do think there's a very interesting dynamic and I touched on it earlier and, and it, I think it will change some of the go forward where uh, the resale uh, market has been anchored by these low interest rates, these artificially low interest rates that fueled our economy for a very long time. And it's gonna be very hard to dislodge somebody from a home um, when they uh, their needs are no longer being met in that home, uh, which they would normally then go into, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move up um, and, you know, go buy a bigger home, whether it's new or, or resale. And then that opens up inventory for those that are trying to come into home ownership. Um, uh, and that's, you know, that's millions of homes that are no longer going to be available going forward that have, that have been there. That being said, we as an industry generally have to be, you know, a, providing a solution to that. And I think part of that solution is that you're going to find a lot more 
uh, single family build to rent rentals coming along. I think that's going to be kind of the gapper to some degree. Um, where people okay. may not be able to go right from an apartment or from their mom, dad's basement to, you know, buying a home, a traditional home, but they can find themselves in a single family detached living environment in a rental way in an area that they want to be in. Um, and so uh, that's a very viable uh, asset class today that 10 years ago was just a fractured mom and poppy kind of thing. And um, was just not, there wasn't like a real sort of, it was just sort of random and weird why they existed, you know, and kind of why people rented and didn't, you know, rent from them. Um, And you're going to see more of an institutionalization of that product type from folks like us, because I think what's going on now is that through the the GFC, a lot of the stigmas, the stigma of being a renter in a neighborhood uh, has gone away. Um, it's very acceptable to, to be somebody who says, I'm here, I'm a renter, I'm in your community, I'm in your neighborhood, I have a family, I have a dog, I'm going to go to your schools, and we're all going to live together. I'm just choosing this life. You know, this is something that is something that's making sense for me today, maybe forever. Um, but it's not something I have to accept because of some circumstances that have happened to me. So it's shifting over where it's a very viable and real and somewhat desired uh, way to live. And we're going to have to produce houses like that. So for us, there's a couple of communities where we're now um, looking at uh, the, the segmentation. Actually, we're actually building up where we have uh, single family rental homes. Then they move in the next planning area is the first move up uh, for sale. And then you have another move up. So we're trying to capture the full cycle, the life cycle or the potential life cycle of that housing consumer in that one community. So yeah. I, I, I definitely see that as a way of addressing affordability and also changing lifestyles. So for sure, that's, that's going to be yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. Does that mean that, um, you know, maybe this is a tough question to answer, but does that mean that, you know, there's a certain level of expectation in terms of like, you know, finishes and, you know, quality of those finishes for the rental, you know, product is going to be, you know, different than from a, from a, you know, for purchase product, perhaps? Perhaps, but, you know, I, at, at all segmentation, your spec levels change because that's what's taking sure. people up the price point, right? So sure. your, your faucets, for instance, are not the same, you know, in a million dollar house, are not the same at a $300,000 house. So, you know, there are, there are those component parts that, are like a car, right? You know, and Mercedes S class is different than an E class and a C class. And so, you know, the point is if you're doing really well as a company and you kind of understand that is you, you make sure that you have that, um, that string that attaches all those segmentations that are important to your brand. For us, that goes back to our HBH strategy, right? So all of our houses have this line of sustainability, healthy lifestyle, home automation, and energy savings no matter what our price point is that that allows us to kind of move around a little bit, but we're keeping that, that, that connects us to that. And then the other part is that, you know, you don't want to get too far away from what your brand is. And so, um, but yeah, there's going to be, and that's what I think new home builders will be better at producing better built to rent housing stock. That's more quality because they're going to attach it to their brand. 
we, we attach it to our brand as opposed to the institutional guys that are out there today that are just kind of, they're trying to, you know, they're in conflict a little bit with us because they want to buy it as cheap as they possibly can and rent it for as high as they possibly can. For us, we just look at it as a stepping stone and being accretive to our existing home building business. So well, I think we can provide a better uh, rental housing stock than they can and are willing yeah. to. Yeah, interesting, interesting. As we close our conversation here, Mike, um, I, I have a couple of sort of, you know, you know, personal questions. Um, one um, is, you know, kind of advice to your younger self, you know, things that you wish you knew when you were entering the industry. Um, and, and the second would be, you know, maybe some advice to people who want to get into the industry, you know, today, you know, what are some things that they should, uh, you know, be aware of and maybe some, you know, guidance that you can give them from, from uh, your experience? Sure. Uh, the first question is probably a little tough. You know, it's like to Mike, you know, you know, <laughs> no, no to Mike, what would you have done now that you know what you know? And I, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I, I'm living a dream life. I've had an amazing career. Um, it's hard to think, you know, like what I could have done differently or would have wished I had known, you know, back in the day. Uh, you know, I, I think as a manager, maybe a little bit is, you know, a little more patience, a little bit more uh, grace, a little <laughs> bit more uh, you know, breathing room, you know, for others, you know, is because at the end of the day, every problem is solvable. It really is, you know, you're going to be okay. So I think, uh, you know, that to myself would be, I think maybe a little bit of a lesson, just, you know, I've always really admired people that poise and composure in times of, uh, concern or, uh, I mean, what a, what a gift to have, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, from that standpoint, that's the personal side. But the better part is really advice to younger people. And, and this is the part that's really, you know, mystifying to me and maybe somewhat frustrating is, you know, why our industry isn't more attractive um, uh, to those that are, you know, entering into the workforce or those that are particularly interested in real estate because uh, what we do, as I said earlier, is such a noble calling. You know, we, uh, you know, we build something of which, you know, every facet of life, you know, takes place in it, you know, from marriage to birth to, you know, raising people to people who pass from us. You know, it's all happens in this thing that we create. Um, and, you know, to not, to not, like want to be a part of that is, is, a you know, again, mystifying to me. The other part of our industry is it's so fascinating because uh, it touches on every element of, of, of our society. I mean, to be in the business we're in today and to, to do land development, to build houses, you have to understand everything. You know, you have to understand traffic, you have to understand air quality, you have to understand soil, you have to understand schools, you have to understand, uh, you you name it, right? Because we are a part of the fabric of the community of which we live in, and we impact everything by virtue of our presence or the creation of our presence. So you get to learn so much about so many different fire, please. I mean, I could keep going on building construction, you know, structures. Um, it is awesome what we do, and uh, so you know, I I. 
I get excited to talk to people. We, we recruit, we go to schools and we, we try to be a compelling you know company for people to come to work for because uh, we need young people. We need uh, diversity. We need, you know, anybody to come join us because, you know, the, it is the lifeblood of our, our business is what we're bringing along and, and, you know, and coaching up and getting prepared for the future leaders. Um, and it's very hard to do. And we've also been an industry that went through their GFC, uh, a whole generation of, of future managers were decimated and left the industry. And so we've got right. this big hole in us that needs to be filled. Um, and so I think uh, that, and then the other thing is I would just say, finally, is just when you're young and you get in the business, go, uh, what I love about, you know, we're a self-liquidating business. So, you know, every two years if we're turning over inventory, right, we're starting all over again, right? It's a whole new company. And so you get so many at bats. I mean, this is, this is what's really cool too, is you're, you're, you know, it's another new communities coming along, new products coming along, new things are, you know, you're in a new town, you're in a new place. You're just constantly, uh, you know, in, in the game and you're learning stuff and you're getting exposed to things. And then, you know, it's a business that really work, rewards experience. I mean, you, you really build on those early uh, chances to be exposed to things, your failures, your successes, and it's something you can be in for decades because of, of what it does and honor experience. So I love it. I think everybody should be a part of it, obviously. I, I uh, you know, I have a real passion for it. Um, and I think it's incredibly rewarding on all levels. Mike, I think uh, it's very obvious from our conversation that you certainly have sawdust in your uh, in your in your veins, uh, <laughs> not just from your career, but it sounds like from your fathers and your grandfathers as well. So uh, thank you for this wonderful conversation. It's been really great learning more about Lancy and what you guys are up to. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.